Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Well, I don't choose to address the matter of the latest excitement with our President of the United States of America. However, (laughs) I feel I need to. And following his presser, his press conference, after the conclusion of his latest grandiose summit, this one being with Vladimir Putin, uh, dictator for life, (laughs) of the new and improved Russian regime, uh, the Russian Federation, not to be confused with the former Soviet Union, of course, even though, of course, Vladimir Putin owes his position, owes his power, owes his riches to the former Soviet Union and what took place during its reign, and then his ascension to power in the new democratic (laughs) Russia. But a number of things I want to touch on. The first ones, though they are important, are not what I view as being the most important. But if you will recall some things that I said with regard to President Trump's momentous summit with his new BFF, bloody, vicious, ruthless communist dictator Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un of the family business North Korean regime. These things apply to the Russian summit with Putin, as I have formerly mentioned. But let me just say this. Again, the, the similarity of circumstances is remarkable and stupendous. And so, if you will recall, with the summit with Kim preceding that, immediately leading up to that, what took place? There was the G7 summit with these powerhouse Western nations, highly developed nations, allies of ours, which President Trump was very dismissive of the representatives there, and I can understand that. These are leftist socialist governments That's not why he was necessarily dismissive, but he was, and he left prematurely. He left before it ended, and he received some less than complimentary remarks, uh, in particular from Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, son of former Canadian Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, And the president reacted very badly (laughs) to those, if you will recall. But he and his men and women uh, made it known that 
Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau and his administration uh, deserved to be relegated to the hottest part of hell and so forth. And then, then this president goes and has this summit with this wonderful champion of freedom and liberty and life and love and what have you, none other than Kim Jong-un. And then no sooner did he leave that summit than on his way to Air Force One, he again comments with regard to Prime Minister Trudeau. It was remarkable, the whole thing, the the remarks regarding the G7 summit, the way he behaved, or shall we say misbehaved at the G7 summit, and then his remarks, his ongoing remarks pertaining to the Canadian Prime Minister. As contrasted with his extremely warm extremely flattering, glowing praises that he heaped continually upon this monstrous, murderous, thug dictator of North Korea. Well, here, (laughs) prior to his summit with legitimate superpower, we're talking about a nuclear superpower, the successor to Soviet Union and different in various ways and similar in various ways. What took place leading up to that? Well, there was this week-long European trip There was this NATO summit, or however you care to express that, if you don't like the term summit. There was President Trump's remarks regarding the NATO allies. He labeled the European Union a foe on trade. Again, there's reason for that. There's substance for that, but nonetheless... He seemingly criticized dear Theresa May, Prime Minister of Britain, and then following some reaction to that, his press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, walked that back and made reference to how highly he thought of Theresa May, Prime Minister Theresa May, who, again, is doing her level best to gut the Brexit legislation. And she never should have been named Prime Minister since she was opposed to Brexit. But she was, quote, as he, that is President Trump, as he said in his interview with The Sun, Prime Minister Theresa May is a very good person. And he never said anything bad about her. Quote, he thought she was great on NATO today and is a really terrific person. 
He is thankful for the wonderful welcome from the prime minister here in the UK. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so she's actually his kind of person. Well, do you remember with regard to Trudeau? Then after slamming Trudeau, then he said, no, he, he, he really likes him and so on and so forth. And all of this immediately preceding his summit with Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin, former head of the KGB successor FSB and or KGB, A man whom a former Republican president looked in the eyes of and plumbed the depths of the man and saw his soul and pronounced to the world, you know, that he was a good, genuine ally of the United States of America and all of that. Of course, I'm referring to George W. Bush about his statements concerning Vladimir Putin following meeting with Vladimir Putin after the monstrous September 11th, 2001 Islamist-Islamo-fascist terrorist attacks of the United States of America. Not only attacks of the United States of America, but many, many of the people killed and or who suffered terribly in that incident or that <laughs> series of incidents were actually not Americans. But we're in the United States of America. We're in the World Trade Centers and so forth. But this president, I mentioned before, at the time of the Kim summit, I was saying, you know, he really should have a summit with Putin and a summit with our wonderful leader, Xi Jinping, there of the communist regime of China, because these are the puppet masters of North Korea, of the North Korean communist regime. It is a satellite slave state of the former Soviet Union and the communist regime in China. And sure enough, not that the president uh, listens to me, not that anybody in his administration does, not that next to anybody does, but <laughs> sure enough, ever so shortly after that, almost immediately, it was announced that he would be having this summit that it was being organized, again, in a third-party nation, if you will, this case in Helsinki, Finland, whereas the summit with Kim was in Singapore. Well, this president, he operated in this summit exactly as he did in this summit with Kim, and that is wheeler-dealer, executive entrepreneur, deal-maker par excellence, or so he thinks, he imagines, as George W. Bush did, that they are just the most masterful negotiators, and they are the ultimate schmoozers and charmers and 
they can accomplish through their charm offensives these remarkable results. And yet it is interesting that our president, President Trump, Donald Trump, does not see fit to employ these same methods in dealing with (laughs) European leaders, British leaders, Canadian leaders. No, 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 but he reserves these special, special skills that he has for gangsters. <laughs> uh, it's, I don't know, I find that fascinating, but there were statements that were made following his remarkable press conference that he held with Vladimir Putin following the summit. There were statements that have been made, sharp criticisms, richly deserved, and also some remarkable, hateful, venomous condemnations of him uh, made by (laughs) those on the political opposite side of the aisle, supposedly, you know, the talking about the leftists. So, but of those who made deserved criticisms, the Senator Republican Senator from Nebraska, and I should know the pronunciation of his last name, but I don't Ben sass or sassy, whatever. Anyway, he said, quote, This is bizarre and flat-out wrong. The United States is not to blame. America wants a good relationship with the Russian people. But Vladimir Putin and his thugs are responsible for Soviet-style aggression. When the president plays these moral equivalence games, he gives Putin a propaganda win that he desperately needs, end quote. And to this I say, hear, hear. Yes, Ben, uh, I agree with you. And this this moral equivalence uh, game or games that he's referring to uh, pertains to the matter of our president likening (laughs) uh, the American intelligence sector Uh, to the Russians and implying that they are at least as much to blame as the Kremlin, uh, if not more so, or if not only so. (laughs) And the president stated that his summit with Vladimir Putin was deeply Productive. And uh, the quotes that our president issues, the statements that he makes, uh, not just those via Twitter, but those to the press, sometimes uh, just a wee bit on the fragmentary side. And so have uh, uh, kindly... uh, make allowance for that. 
<laughs> it's not me saying these things. It's me repeating these things that the president has said. Quote, they said they think it's Russia. This is regarding the charges of campaign meddling by the Russian totalitarian regime in the 2016 presidential election. And so they said they think it's Russia. They, meaning the intelligence establishment here in the United States of America, such as the CIA, the NSA, and so forth. And he goes on to say, I don't see any reason why it would be Russia that was responsible for the election hacking. He acknowledges in, in these statements, quote, uh, that there was election hacking, but he doesn't see any reason why it would be Russia. And he says, quote, President Putin was extremely strong and powerful in his denial today, end quote. Whoa, okay, so if you deny something forcefully enough, then that's proof, positive, that your denial is honest and forthright? Hmm. Yes, that's what our president is saying. And then he was asked specifically whether he believed that Vladimir Putin or the American intelligence agencies were correct concerning what they said about election meddling. Mr. Trump, our president, President Trump, Donald Trump, he stated that there were two thoughts on the matter. Two two thoughts. Two camps, (laughs) if you will, of thought on the matter. One from American officials, such as Dan Coates, you know, he's... Director of National Intelligence here in the United States of America, which asserts that Vladimir Putin's regime is directly involved. And then the other thought, as he puts it, is from Vladimir Putin, who dismisses it. And then what does this president say concerning these two Views, these two thoughts, these two camps. Quote, I have confidence in both parties, end quote. (laughs) I think they're both right, okay? (laughs) So I think the American intelligence agencies are right that the Russian regime is responsible for hacking the 2016 presidential election, but I also think that Vladimir Putin, the head of that Russian regime, without whose approval, nothing of any major significance import that pertains to any other, (laughs) any foreign policy, any foreign actions, anything of the kind takes place, but that I have confidence in him. 
And meanwhile, he forcefully, extremely strongly, powerfully denies any involvement. And our president says he has confidence in both camps. He agrees with both. So maybe you can please everybody. Well, I don't think so, because following his remarks, he was denounced again, legitimately denounced, honestly, needfully denounced by the likes of Nebraska Republican Senator Ben. Again, I believe his name's pronounced Sass. Eh. I'll I'll bridge the two like our president might. But and then there were the other remarks from those like former CIA director who converted to Islam is a champion of Islam. John O'Brennan, Barack Obama's CIA director there for four years or more. And he said, quote, Donald Trump's press conference performance in Helsinki rises to and exceeds the threshold of high crimes and misdemeanors. End quote. He called the president's behavior treasonous <laughs> and Then he also said, quote, not only were Trump's comments imbecilic, he is wholly in the pocket of Putin, end quote. Figuratively, of course. Um, Fascinating. So his choice of language here is very interesting that he expressly, specifically states that President Trump has performed in such a way that his performance rises to and exceeds the threshold of high crimes and misdemeanors, meaning he needs to be impeached, he can be impeached, he will be impeached, and so on and so forth. All right. Well, again, this is from John Brennan. John Brennan, who has stated that he will stay aggressively on the offense against President Trump until the presidency once again has integrity. Because after all, it had such integrity when Barack Hussein Obama was there. It had such integrity when Bill Clinton was there. Fascinating, I think. I personally... This is a shocker, I know, but I personally have had zero confidence in our intelligence agencies for as long as I've been an adult. I have had deeply held (laughs) suspicion regarding them, regarding their involvement in the assassinations of John F. Kennedy Robert F. Kennedy, and so forth. And I just am not a champion of the intelligence agencies. And this, perhaps, perhaps that is not terrible in in the view of everyone, but uh, what 
probably is, is that I don't believe highly in the whole notion of intelligence agencies and what they do and spycraft and so forth. I, I think that more often than not, that it results in damage rather than good. But (laughs) I find it fascinating, too, that not only President Trump is the tweeter-in-chief, he is absolutely enamored with Twitter, uses it all the time. He did, of course, in the presidential election and the primaries and in the general election and then entering the White House. But I find it fascinating that his critics and the others, they're all insisting on using Twitter, too, because I guess they've decided, well, you know, President Trump, it worked for him. (laughs) Okay, it worked for him to become president, so on and so forth. So that's the way to go. So we're all going to use it. We're all going to jump on the Twitter bandwagon. And so John Brennan, he tweeted these things, and I think that the senator may have, did he? I hope not. Please not. But others have, McCain and so on and so forth, with their powerful denunciations of the president. And... For the president to liken the American intelligence establishment or agencies to Russia, to the Russian regime, to the Kremlin, to the FSB, and so forth, to liken them, to compare them, to equate them, (laughs) um, is... Remarkable. I even as low a view as I have <laughs> of the CIA and the military intelligence agencies and the NSA and the whole kit and caboodle and FBI, at the same time, I don't view it as equivalent with the former KGB and FSB. which were used as murder squads to slaughter tens of millions of people under the Soviet regime of Joseph Stalin, his, one of his pseudonyms. So I do take a different view of that. I understand people being upset with this president. But my particular objections with this president go far deeper, far beyond, (laughs) involve far much more than these remarks that he made at his press conference, his presser following his glorious summit his vainglorious summit with Vladimir Putin. I happen to believe that the 
remarks he made concerning NATO, concerning Article 5 of NATO and Montenegro and so forth, vastly trump what he said regarding Russia and Vladimir Putin. But back to Vlad for a minute here. I think it's fascinating that, uh, again, I mentioned that this was conducted just as the summit with Kim was conducted. So the president insisted on having this private, one-on-one, personal, man-to-man, mano-a-mano session in which he knew he could prevail. There's no question about that because he's so superior, right? He's so superior. He doesn't need to prepare whatsoever. He just, you know, it's just like when he tweets, right? I mean, he just goes in there and he just, he does it, right? He's this grand performer. So he had these private sessions with Kim and then with Vlad, with Vladimir. Pardon me, uh, Mr. Putin, for referring to you as Vlad. Uh, <laughs> and he's, it says that there was a longer than expected set of talks. Okay. But those talks included a private one-on-one session with no advisors present. Again, just man-to-man, mano-a-mano And it's 130 minutes. And they, of course, they said that they had made this tremendous progress and had forged a bond. Again, just, you know, this is boilerplate from the Kim Summit. Deeply productive dialogue. And Putin said this. He said that they were glad with the outcome of their first full-scale meeting. And, quote, I hope that we start to understand each other better. And I'm grateful to Donald for it, end quote. I am grateful to Donald for it. So, see, they, too, they have become BFFs, right? They're buddies. They're pals. I mean, it's amazing. Donald Trump wins these despots, these gangsters, these cutthroats. He wins them over just in such brief amount of time. It's just extraordinary to win over these intransigent, hardened, implacable foes bent on our destruction. (laughs) But he's just got a gift. You know, you just got to say the man's got a gift, right? Uh, and before I get to the NATO matter, let me say a couple things. First, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever's right, true, good about this program is thanks to my Lord and God and King. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Whatever's wrong, whatever's lacking, whatever's erring or errant, that's on me. That's due to me. 
And <laughs> so in direct contrast with our president, uh, that to go into a one-on-one private session and to trust entirely implicitly in how brilliant you are and what a masterful negotiator you are. I'll say this again with these programs. I am dependent on God for their being true, for their being accurate, for their having godly wisdom. But which is completely and utterly dependent on fear of the Lord because God states in his word that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, meaning godly wisdom. So absent fear of the Lord, there is not the tiniest, tiniest grain, granule, modicum of a beginning of godly wisdom. Ah, and there we have our president. Well, over to the matter of these negotiations. And when I say these negotiations, I mean our president's negotiations with not only foes, but with friends. Not only foreign friends, allies, but with the people of the United States of America. That in any and all agreements, covenants, that it is vitally important that they be entered into prudently, carefully, wisely, in the fear of the Lord, honoring Lord God Almighty. Why is that necessary? Why is that important? We have a secular society. This isn't a theocracy. This isn't a Christian nation, right? It was supposed to be. It was intended to be. And it began to be with the pilgrims and Puritans risking their lives, their families, their loved ones to establish a new thing here on this continent. But while there are many genuine, devout Christians in this nation, there are also many people who imagine they're Christian and their definition and view of Christian is so far beneath (laughs) the requirement or the threshold of Christianity that, sadly, that they truly are not. And so they embrace astrology and yoga meditation and all manner of other things <laughs> uh, within that context and uh, psychic hotlines and <laughs> their horoscopes, again, back to astrology and all of those kinds of things, you know, <laughs> that, it, that it all goes together. Oh, yes, and reincarnation and so on and so forth. But 
but it is not a Christian nation, even though it's founding. I'm not talking about the so-called founding fathers, but it's founding with the pilgrims and Puritans was Christian indeed. And the Constitution was based on the Bible, but unfortunately just based on. And also was crafted in reliance on the worldly wisdom of heathen pagan regimes such as the Grecian or Macedonian Greco-Roman civilization, the Grecians, the Romans, and then the Europeans and the British and so forth. And so even though those nations in Europe and Britain had come to be known as Christendom and had Christian influence, they also had heavy Roman Catholic influence and other things. But our founding fathers were almost exclusively devout Christian men, but they were still influenced with an admixture from all of these other things, and they had an inordinate inordinate respect and regard for the Roman Empire, for instance. But even though this nation is not a Christian nation, or if you hold that it is still a Christian nation, if and let me digress, if it were a Christian nation, then vicious, ruthless, kidnapper, rapist, murderers, torture murderers would be executed summarily. They would not be sentenced to life in prison and the people of this nation have to pay for them to be cared for. We would not have vicious rapists and murderers in our prison systems, multitudes, vast multitudes of them, spending their days and nights watching hardcore pornography and getting primed for when they come out. We would not have Islamists, black Muslims, and so forth, heavily involved in recruitment throughout our prison systems, nor the skinheads, white supremacists, and so on and so forth. We would not have drug trafficking in our prisons, federal prisons and otherwise. We would not have a situation where the only murderers, destroyers that are executed are a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of those who have committed such crimes and been convicted of such crimes even. And then only after a period of 20, 25, 30 years in the prison system going through these obscene, prolonged, protracted appeals. And then at times being granted clemency and so on and so forth because because capital punishment is wrong. We would not have capital punishment costing a fortune so that it can be administered by lethal injection, and then the lethal injections not always going perfectly. And so then those who have finally reached execution phase 
being granted freedom from being executed because they had a less than good experience on the first time they tried to execute them. (laughs) And the list just goes on and on. Or they are now considered too old to execute. Or they they have some health-related issues, and so they can't be executed. (laughs) The list just goes on and on and on. Instead of them being summarily executed, instead of them being hung, instead of them being shot by firing squad, instead of them being stoned, no. Instead, we need to spend millions of dollars to execute them by lethal injection, of which, of course, is the successor to electrocution. <laughs> but if this were a Christian nation, there would be no legalized, induced abortion every one of which is vicious, ruthless, brutal, sadistic, torturous murder of precious pre-born human beings who are supposedly, who are supposed to be protected in the sanctity of their mother's womb, even if those mothers are sinners, even if those mothers are foolish, sinful people, Still, their womb is supposed to be a sanctity, a sanctified place for the nurture, the growth, the development, the protection of these precious preborn babies. And even though we grant rights exceeding those of we, the citizens, now to illegal aliens. We do. I don't want to digress here too much except to say this nation, if it were a Christian nation, would be a very different nation. There would be no vicious, ruthless pornography industry. There would be no snuff films. Any pimps, any individuals that kidnap, rape, and prostitute girls and young women. Those who do these things would be summarily executed. Kidnap used to be a capital offense. Rape used to be a capital offense. And there's rape and rape and so forth. But this, these brutal predator destroyers of girls and young women would be summarily executed, and that would be an example to those who would do such things. And no, they would not be sent to prison for 30 years before they were executed. And the list goes on. We would not be a nation awash with putrescent, obscene, filthy noise that is referred to as music. Rap music. You know, noise to commit brutal rape and murder by is what it is. And kidnap rape and prostitution and kidnap rape and sex trafficking and kidnap rape and murder by. And hip-hop, which is its Ah, 
more socially acceptable variety of. We wouldn't be bombarded with that, blasted with that in our towns from vehicles that are, shall we say, disturbing the peace, bombarding people on the streets, in parking lots, and so on and so forth. And this list goes on and on and on. We wouldn't have this monstrous sodomite agenda. We wouldn't have the highest court in the land saying that male with male and female with female equals loving legal marriages. We wouldn't have sodomites being permitted to adopt. We wouldn't have sodomite indoctrination of young people in schools through the sex education departments and programs and so forth, all the way down to kindergarten, and no doubt by now it's down to preschool. But we do, we do. And we have. (laughs) These things have been going on for decades in most of these respects. And those that they have just arrived in the last few years, they've been coming for a long time. It's taken them a while to get here. We wouldn't have people that pray for these girls and young women going into abortion mills and who try to sidewalk counsel them, and who witness to them, we wouldn't have them being brutalized by our best and brightest, by our U.S. Marshals and other police, and police employed by the abortion mills, the grist mills. But we do, and we have, for decade upon decade upon decade upon decade, and having these people being prosecuted by our presidents and first ladies in the most vicious and illegal ways and RICO and other anti-racketeering laws being used against them to relegate them to felon status, to prevent them from being able to be employed, from, to taking their houses away from them, sending their children into foster care. But we do and we have, and this has been going on for decades in this Christian nation. So pardon me for digressing. It is not a Christian nation. But even though it is not, it is absolutely critically important that any and all covenants or covenant-like agreements that are entered into on behalf of the nation be good, godly, sound, beneficial to this nation and be kept because God will hold this nation accountable for keeping those covenants, as is seen in the case of 
the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Israel, with covenants that they broke, even covenants made with heathen, pagan peoples, and with destroyers such as the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadrezzar, if you prefer, whom he even referred to as his servant. And he punished and overthrew the kingdom of Judah for breaking said covenant. Back to NATO. Trump was asked by Tucker Carlson of Fox News about the matter of Montenegro. Montenegro, tiny Montenegro, member of NATO. And the president said the following to him, you know, quote, you know, Montenegro is a tiny country with very strong people. They are very aggressive people. They may get aggressive. And congratulations, you're in World War III. <laughs> End quote. Uh, so tiny, tiny Montenegro has very strong people, very aggressive people. They may get aggressive. They may get aggressive and they may, what, attack Russia? And then we'll be in World War III because we have to defend Montenegro. But wait a minute. <laughs> There's a problem here. Article 5, that's the provision that calls upon all NATO members to come to the aid of allies under attack. It has only been used one time, and that was pertaining to the United States of America after the September 11th Islamo-fascist terrorist attacks. It does not apply in cases in which a NATO member is the aggressor. Oh, and NATO members would be the aggressors, right? Right? You know, I mean, Sweden, England, France, Montenegro. These countries, they would be attacking the former Soviet Union, right? In all of its might. But... But Trump, I mean, when's the last time you ever heard about the Montenegrin people being particularly, unusually strong people, unusually aggressive people? Hmm? When's the last time? I've never, ever, until now, have never heard that. Okay? But according to our president, they may commit aggression against the Russian regime. And then, of course, Russia would attack Montenegro. Well, if they attacked Montenegro, they would annihilate the Montenegrin people, and we would go to their defense, even though Article 5 doesn't apply in cases in which a NATO member is the aggressor, and even though Russia is now an ally of ours, okay? It's, it is most favored nation, Russia. So in other words, what would really happen is this. Putin's Russian regime 
would attack and invade Montenegro and Ukraine and Georgia and Belarus and Moldova, Lithuania and Latvia, and the list just goes on and on and on. And Putin would claim that they had committed aggression against Russia, just as Hitler claimed Poland had committed savage, vicious, inhuman crimes against German peoples and was attacking Germany and justified its annihilation of so very many millions of Polish people on that basis. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.